So if you lend someone money and you take some form of collateral, what's to stop them from offering the same collateral to somebody else and getting two loans with the same piece of collateral? Hey there everyone, it's uh, David Barnett from investlocalbook.com where I answer questions about local investing, buying and selling small businesses, as well as anything else that my viewers want to ask me about. This week I have a question from Prince Edward Island where a viewer wants to know about registering security. So for those of you out there who've read my 2014 best-selling book, Invest Local, there's a whole section in the book about how I registered security for different assets that I took as collateral when I did private lending deals. And one example in particular in that book uh, that led to the question from the viewer was about how I gave directions to an attorney to register security against a mobile home for which was pledged as collateral to me. But let's talk about registering security and security registries in general before we get into the specifics. So basically the idea of a security registry is that if you give someone money and they offer you something of value as collateral, other people who might also be in the business of lending want to be able to know if that collateral has already been pledged to someone. And so that's the idea behind a registry. Now, over the course of the last few hundred years in Western society, you know, UK, North America, Australia, etc., and other free countries around the world, the first place that security was of concern was with real estate. And so all over the place as ownership disseminated from lords and, and kings down to private individuals, different schemes and regimens had to be created all over the, all over the place to figure out how we're gonna keep track of who owns what. And then of course the next step was, well, what if people want to borrow against that? So that's why, because it came to be in a diversified way across all these different jurisdictions, that's why land registration and mortgages are so different from one jurisdiction to another. And you know, in most places, it is fairly complex and is strictly the domain of attorneys and lawyers. Uh, basically, you go, if you want to um, borrow, lend someone money against a piece of property, you need to have a lawyer involved to make sure that the security is registered properly because the rules are different in different places. Some places have trust deeds, other places have titles, other places have registration systems where you have to search back through registries all the way back to a, a royal grant of land, for example. So, so these land registries developed over time with this idea that they wanted to be able to publicly um, demonstrate that this land has been offered as security to a lender in case of default. The next sort of wave of, of registry or title issues came with automobiles. So when cars started to come about, different states, provinces, countries, etc., had to come up with different ways of controlling the ownership or titles of vehicles. And in some places, they also lumped in, for example, mobile homes with vehicles. And that's why, again, in different jurisdictions, in different places around the world, you've got different sets of rules of how these titles are generated, the paperwork involved. Um, so for example, where I live, if I own a vehicle, um, the title is in my name. And if I pledge security um, to a lender, if I borrowed money to buy the car, there's nowhere on the title that is listed that 
a certain finance company lent me money. That's listed in a different registry that we're going to talk about here in a moment. But in other places around the world, in some U.S. states, for example, if a lender lends money on a vehicle, the lender's name appears on the title. And sometimes the lender actually holds the title and the borrower gets um, a different form of paperwork that shows that they actually are allowed to use the vehicle and insure it, etc. But the actual title of the vehicle uh, is actually in the lender's name. So different systems for different jurisdictions around the world. So as you can see, it would be difficult to expand lending for general business needs if every part of the world had a different set of rules. So back in 1952, uh, in the United States, they created something called the Uniform Commercial Code. The whole idea was if you had a manufacturer in one state who then shipped product to a second state for warehousing, and then it was distributed or sold by an agent in a third state for delivery to a customer in a fourth state, if something happened, and there was some sort of legal challenge or, or lawsuit, it would be very difficult to reconcile differences in different laws in different states. So this uniform commercial code was created with the idea being that every American state would adopt it entirely into local law so that there would be a, a uniformity to what was going on in different jurisdictions. And one particular chapter, chapter nine, I believe, had to do with creating a security registry for personal property. So this is all things that are like movable, basically anything outside of real estate can go into these personal property security registries. And it was so successful that Canadian provinces started to copy the legislation. Um, other countries around the world started to copy it and create these general personal property security registries. So now in the States, when you go to file security against a piece of personal property, let's say you want to buy a machine, a, a press brake, let's say, and I'm going to lend you money to buy it, I can file what's called a UCC filing in the United States where it says you own the machine, I've lent you money for it, you've pledged it as security to me in the event of default, I have a right to come and claim that property. And it gets filed in such a way that anyone who goes searching for that company's name is going to be able to find this filing. And they're going to know that you've already pledged the press break as security to me. So what does that then do? It makes borrowing a lot easier because now companies, lenders don't have to worry that the collateral has been pledged to multiple lenders so that in the event of a crisis, bankruptcy, etc., you've got four different banks trying to seize the same property, right? It also allowed for what are called general security agreements. So sometimes uh, a company will go to a bank and they'll say, I want to borrow money from you, a line of credit. And the bank will say, for example, well, part of the securities, we want a GSA, which means we want a blanket security against everything that you own, receivables, you know, patents, trademarks, machinery, equipment, all of it. So they can file something in using UCC filing saying we have security against everything. Now, if that company wants to go and borrow to buy a new piece of machinery and I'm a lender and I look in the registry, I'm gonna see that this GSA is there. I'm not gonna make that loan unless that first bank agrees that they're going to allow me to supersede or go ahead of their GSA. You see how this works? So the question specifically from Prince Edward Island was, 
what can we do to reduce the expense of filing security when we're talking about a piece of real estate or a business? So again, real estate, we go back to the original registration system, which is unique in every jurisdiction. So we're gonna have to use a lawyer to make sure that the registration is done correctly. What I gave as an example in my book, Invest Local, was a list or a letter of direction to a lawyer saying what I wanted. So on the mini home, for example, I wanted there to be um, proof of insurance. I wanted there to be a filing and where I live, uh, many homes you would file in the personal property security registry, the PPSR, um, for a certain number of years, uh, as well as certain guarantees from the, the borrower, etc., etc. So I created this list, and the whole idea behind being properly prepared is that if you can give the lawyer a complete list of everything you want them to do, and they don't have to pick up the phone and start asking questions, etc., then we cut down on the amount of time that the lawyer is going to be spending doing the registration process. Now, one of the fundamental things though that I think that the, the uh, viewer missed is that whenever I do a loan that involves uh, a registry, I always make the borrower bear the cost of registration and legal. So if there is some sort of question that the lawyer has and they wanna pick up the phone and call me, it's not me that's footing the bill for that conversation. Anyway, I, I hope this has been informative. Um, it is a little bit of history and a little bit of information about how this stuff works. If you've ever borrowed money to buy a car or a house or a trailer or RV or anything like that, then you've probably uh, been subject to one of these filings. So if you have access to the database and in many states and provinces, you can just search online. You can look up things that you own, like a car, and put in the VIN number, and you can find yourself listed in there, uh, showing the original lender on the automobile and how much was borrowed, etc. And, and more importantly, the contact information for the borrower, because of course, what the borrower wants is that if you ever sell that vehicle, uh, the buyer can look up this information and contact them and say, look, how much is owed, so that they don't buy a vehicle with an outstanding lien because even if you sell a vehicle or another piece of personal property, it doesn't remove the lien holder's rights to seize that property if you don't pay the loan. And so as a buyer of used equipment, you should probably learn how to do these, what are called lien checks, uh, verifying if there's any outstanding balance owed on a piece of equipment or machinery, et cetera. Um, if you're interested in learning more about local investing and going out and actually doing some deals where you can earn anywhere, you know, in my deals I earn anywhere from 9% up to infinity, depending on certain leverage techniques that I use, then you should be checking out localinvestingcourse.com. The Local Investing Academy starts in September this year, runs for four months. It's both an education, training, and group coaching program where I actually take the students through the process of learning how to do their first deal analyzing the prospective deals that are presented to the students and showing people exactly what to do to get their deals rolling. And as always, if you found this video helpful, please like and share it. It's the only way the people that run the internet have of knowing that the content is any good and it's worthwhile to put it up higher in the search rankings. Anyway, we'll see you later and have a great day.